I think the, the hardest thing in, in this environment now is finding and building a team of problem solvers. There's a lot of people that want immediate grat uh, gratification and they're actually problem makers rather than problem solvers. And that's the hardest thing is, is finding people that are proactive enough to look at a, a problem or a situation and not react to it, but be proactive towards it as to what solution can be provided. Welcome to another podcast of the Isle of Monday podcast. Today we have Event House, property investor, public speaker, and a fellow podcast host, Paul Stapleton. Thank you for having me, mate. Okay, so multiple business owner. Tell us about how your journey in business began. So started working from a young age. Um, 14 was my first job. Um, doing early mornings on a Saturday, working on the markets. So learned the, the value of working hard for very small money back then. I, I probably thought it was a quite a good bit of money, but I think I was making maybe 30 pounds for a day's worth of graft. Um, my dad had a restaurant, um, which I used to work in as well. So again, working the family business was, was how I grew up and working weekends. So it was all about, from a young age, working for me. Um, and I enjoyed that. It gave me some really good life skills. Um, mainly what I got from the restaurant was the confidence to conversate with people much older than me, multitasking, problem solving, that kind of thing. But I think I had the, the work ethic from a young age. What were you selling in the markets? Oh God, it was like uh, printed t-shirts, awful stuff. Can't believe people bought it. But um, yeah, it wasn't my store. I worked for someone, but yeah, look back and it's a bit, a bit cringeworthy now. Um, I used to, in the markets as well, Queen's Market, um, my uncle had a fabric shop. So yeah. I used to stand there on Saturdays, literally shouting one pound a yard for 20 quid a day. Blimey. Not um, one pound fish. <laughs> not one pound fish. It's the same market though. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's the same market. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and again, we're in a family-run business, so it's quite similar. Yeah. Um, did you learn, did you pick up sales? Yeah, I, I suppose in a way I did. Um, because you would always have those people come along and they would want to barter with you and it was always trying to get sort of the best deal for them but the best deal for us and upselling them from maybe they wanted a deal and they wanted to buy two, maybe upselling them to three and that kind of thing. So yeah, I suppose I got that from there and also from the restaurant, always upselling silly things like jugs of cocktails or bottles of wine instead of glasses and side orders. It sounds minor but I think it's the same principle, isn't it? Upselling on everything. How was it working in a family business at a restaurant? Tough, yeah. My, my dad and I, our relationship um, did suffer with that. Um, my dad had the added stress that the business um, during the recession started to really go down as well. So you had a lot of money pressure, financial pressures. Um, so that didn't help with the relationship. And they always say you, you, you take it out on the nearest to you. So yeah. That didn't, that didn't work in my favour, I would say. Um, a lot of people think if you work with your family, you get special treatment, you, you get the complete opposite. But um, it was a good experience. Um, and I learned a lot, not only from working in that environment, but also seeing the hardship that my dad went through as well um, and how he coped with it and everything. So 
it was a good learning experience from a from a young age. All, yes. all of that kind of happened before I was eighteen. Is that restaurant still running now? No, no. Um, he luckily sold it before he lost it. So, um, so yeah, yeah, not running anymore. So, how, how's your relationship with your dad now? Not him knowing yeah. that okay, you've run multiple businesses. Yeah, ama- amazing. Now, very supportive, very proud. Um, we we talk all the time. It's it's the complete opposite to where we were before, where there was that friction and um, just that that bit of stress that was always there. And I, I think it was I think it was because I I was in the trenches with him, and he didn't want to share it with my mum. It was always myself that that got the the bad end of it. But our relationship now is 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 great. Do you feel being in a family run business has created a bit more resilience in you in terms of if any? setbacks come to when you're in a family-run business I feel that any like in any business you have an issue but you take it that much more personally because you don't want it to affect anyone else around you yeah I think so I mean I I think what I learned from that is I wouldn't work with family again um when I was looking for a PA everyone said oh why, why don't you get your wife to do it and I I just think it doesn't it doesn't quite work because when something goes wrong and you need to take that out on that person that's done it wrong, when it's a family member, it's quite difficult. And sometimes family members can take that for granted as well, um, that they can get away with certain things that maybe an employee wouldn't. So I think what I've really learned is it's best to keep family and business separate. But I know lots of what we call power couples that are doing absolutely amazing in business. But for me, I think personally, I I like to keep it separate. It's quite interesting. I think uh, we the way we run high class was I do the day to day operations. My dad just he's just on top. If I need him, he's there like a mm-hmm. mentor. Um, but he won't get involved in the nitty gritty. Um, and when he does the care homes, it's the same. I don't get involved at all. Um, so I think we have that kind of relationship where we. Give each other, oh, he gives me the freedom, not each other. Yeah. He gives me the freedom to basically run how you want, make your mistakes, and as long as you're learning from it and then the business is thriving, that's the most important bit. I, th- I think I think knowing your place within a business and staying in your lane and not not kind of going into someone else's place is 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 key. Um, see, I'm in business with Aaron. We both have very different strengths. Um, I know when it comes to the events that Aaron's going to be in control of pushing ticket sales, arranging the guest speakers and stuff like that. He knows I'm good on the back end of stuff, so the logistics, uh, sorting out the venue, everything we need. We both deal with the sponsors, so we both know each other's strengths and we won't, we won't cross over. Yes, there'll be times when maybe he might suggest a guest or I might suggest something and he go, I don't think that will quite work, and that's fine. That's that's sort of a healthy debate within the business, but I think knowing what hat you wear within a business is is essential, and that goes for my property business as well. I've I've got an absolutely amazing sales progressor in the business. She wears that hat. I don't get involved. I wear the hat of taking on instructions, and I have someone that wears the hat of sales. We all have a different hat. None of us then cross cross over into each other's bit of the business. And it just works as like a nice, smooth conveyor belt along the process. I think it's about being able to give control and trusting others. Yeah. Um, when you trust your team, 
whether it's family or not. But when you trust your team, you naturally give yourself more freedom to, like for yourself, go mm. out and win instructions. Yeah. Or go work on your other businesses as well. Yeah. It took me a, it took me a long time to be able to, to let go. I would say last April was the first holiday I've been on where I can comfortably say I could have gone away for a full week and not spoken to, to anyone at the office. I still had my hour in the morning because it's just healthy, it's, it's my baby, I want to make sure everything's running. But before that, I would go away and I'd, I'd just be upset, I'll constantly be thinking about work, is this happening, is it not? And I've, I've built that team now where I know they're only going to contact me if it's something that they can't handle. And I think nothing is that important that can't wait until an hour's time or, or something like that. So um, I think being able to delegate is really, really important in business. I say the same. When I, whenever I go away, I say to these guys that unless there's a fire, and even if there is a fire, don't contact me. Because if there's I a fire, be I can't do time. nothing. Exactly. <laughs> and um, again, like you said, most problems can be solved. Yeah. Not a, unless it's something where only I have access to and it's in my inbox or whatever, um, that's, that's a bit different. But most of the time, landlord's problem can be solved, vendor's problem can be solved. Yeah. And generally, most of the time, it's just about communication. You just want to... I think the, the hardest thing in, in this environment now is finding and building a team of problem solvers. There's a lot of people that want immediate grat uh, gratification, and they're actually problem makers rather than problem solvers. And that's the hardest thing is, is finding people that are proactive enough to look at a, a problem or a situation and not react to it, but be proactive towards it as to what solution can be provided. Have you had any problem makers in your, any of your businesses? Yeah, um, I mean, I've had two business partners in the past and uh, for various reasons, it hasn't worked. Um, and I think, again, um, that's just part of the learning experience. I've, I've learned from them. I've got what I've needed. They've always been older than me. So almost like going into business with a mentor, where there's always that level where they always think they're just a bit above your equal. But because they're more, they're, they're more experienced, they always feel they're there. And I think that's, that's one thing I've learned is that it's great to have a mentor, but I think it keep it as a mentor and not mix it with business. So I've learned I've learned a lot on the way. I've learned not to trust people as, as much. I've learned to always go with my gut. I've learned to take risks, calculated risks, um, and I've learned that to, to be fair, you can only screw someone over once in this industry because it's such a small world. So if you're gonna be ultra pessimistic to the point where you won't do business with people because you you don't trust anyone i think you'll never do any business yeah. so there's there's so many things that i've learned along the way and i'm still learning i'm by no means the finished article but um i think if you're not learning and making mistakes you're not growing what was your first business so my first business was a graphic design business so i've always i've always been into graphic design um from when I did my work experience, I worked with Cosmopolitan magazine on the marketing side. Um, they gave me the brand new Apple iMac. It was, it was amazing. I remember taking it home thinking this is the best thing. Went to college to study graphics. 
hated college, just not built for education. I've just, I'm that person who just wants to get out of the classroom, get out there and just start doing it. So I left college after the first year and I set up a graphic design company where we did, um, we designed like like the livery for like vehicles, um, shop front, stuff like that. Did that for about a year and just realized this is never gonna make me the money that, that I want, that I ever want to have. So, yeah, Ooh. shut shop. What's the, um, what's the reason he wasn't going to give you the money? Was it just the low commissions? Or? I think, I think it's a, what I found is it was a lot of hard work. It was very time consuming for minimal money based on where I was at that time. Um, you would it would kind of be like someone would give you, I suppose it's like property. When someone says to you, I'm looking for a three bedroom house with this, 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 and you go out and you find that exact thing. Whereas I would create that exact thing. Then they go, it's not got, it's not got a driveway. And it's like, you, you didn't say yeah. you wanted a driveway. And it was the same with the graphics. You do exactly what someone would say. And they go, you know what? Yeah, I don't like those colors. And you'd be doing constant revisions. And before you know it, you've done three times the amount of work than you, you priced for. And it just became something that I didn't enjoy doing. I still enjoyed design. And w- what I've taken from that is it's a transferable skill that I now use every single day for my business. Um, like all of the peak performance stuff, that's all branded by me. So if we were to employ someone to do that, that would be a huge amount of money out of our budget. So there's definitely a benefit from those few years that I did it because I use it every single day in all of my businesses and it saves us a great deal of money. What was your next business after? So my next business, I became a, uh, like a sales consultant. So I've, I've, I've always loved sales um, and I studied sales for five years and I worked for a couple of investment companies with sell like commodities and stuff. And I was quite lucky that one of the businesses I worked in, they had um, Jordan Belfort come and do a two day course. So I learned a hell of a lot there. And I just got to the point where I actually enjoyed the learning of sales more than I did making the sales at that point. So I became a sales consultant See, that would train people up. So I set up a business called Sales Training Made Simple and I would go into estate agencies, insurance brokers and various other businesses and I would train their staff the art of selling. So not just expecting if you put something on Rightmove, for instance, that that's going to be what sells that property. You, you are physically going to have to sell that property and sell the dream. So I did that for for a while um, and then I merged businesses with a friend of mine who had a recruitment company and it was recruiting sales staff for companies. So what we would do is we would actually train salespeople up and then place them into businesses. And that worked really, really well until I met a friend of mine who was looking for someone to uh, be a sales manager in his business and he had a investment property company that had something like 70 staff. It was one of the biggest buy-to-let investment companies in, in, in the UK. And um, he said, can you guys find something? And I'd always had a passion for property. And not that there's anything wrong with it, but I knew I never wanted to be an estate agent. I didn't want to deal with the general public, but I wanted to do something in property, but I never quite knew what I wanted to do. 
when I went to their office and they explained to me, this is what we do and that and everything like this, I was like, this actually sounds like a role that I would like. And after speaking with him, we kind of decided, you know what, it could be something that I could do on a consultancy basis in the business. Um, and that was heading up the sourcing division and training people and recruiting people. And that was my first introduction into property. Uh, what, are the, what are the three tips you'd give for sales? For sales, okay. So I think firstly, you need to be an expert listener. Um, a lot of people think selling is all about talking and it's not. The first thing you need to do is identify what the person is looking for. So when Jordan Belfort does the whole thing about sell me this pen, it's not about describing the pen, it's about asking the second thing, skillful questions, what is it that they're looking for? So I could go off straight away and say, so the great thing about this pen is that it's black and it writes well and it's this and you can click it and it fits in your pocket. But until I've asked you that question, I could be telling you a black pen when you're looking for a blue pen. Yeah. So it's asking skillful questions, it's being an expert listener, and then it's having the ability then to be a closer and it's closing the sale. So yeah, skillful questions, expert listener, and having the, having the knowledge to close. Just before you come, actually, we had a, a meeting with the sales team. Um, we were just talking about how do you convince a vendor? And we were saying the key thing is you build a relationship. And how do you build a relationship? Is yeah, one thing, listen. Yeah. And obviously, we're going to see the house. So have a look around the house and see what it is. See what's around um, just to build that relationship. So even if it's a pair of trainers that you like, yeah. you can build a connection like that. Once you build that connection, it's easier for the vendor to trust you rather than other agencies. Yeah, it's, it's understanding what they're looking for. And I think the first thing when you go there, again, it's nobody cares about how good you are. They care that you're the right fit for them. So I think you going into a, a, a house and saying, oh, I don't know if you saw on White Move, we're voted number one in the area, blah, blah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Cares. It's about, for me, it would be going in there and saying, what is it that you are looking for from an estate agency to sell your house? And what you're basically saying to them is, tell me how to sell to you. Yeah. And then they will just say, look, it's just, it's communication. I just want a constant communication and I don't want loads of viewings. Now I know they're the two avenues that I need to go down and pitch on, as opposed to pitching on the fact that we can do this and this and this when that's irrelevant to that person. So before you ever pitch anyone, it's about identifying what I call their pain points. So, so you might have 20 USPs in your business, but it's very naive to think that you can guess which USP to pitch that person on. First thing you have to do is establish the USPs that are gonna match that, what that person's looking for, and then just focus on those and keep pressing those, we call them the hot button. Just keep pressing that and pressing that and pressing that. And I learned that, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Brian Tracy, no. So Brian Tracy is probably like one of the original personal development and sales trainers in America. He's the guy that taught Tony Robbins. Yeah. So he's from back in the 60s. And he used to be in real estate and he used to say, he'd always look to see what the wife liked. And the first thing the wife likes, that's what he calls the hot button. And he uses the example of walking into this house and you walk through and the wife the first thing she noticed was this cherry blossom tree in the garden. And she went, oh my God, look at that tree. So he knew that every room that he took the wife in had to be at the back of the house and they'd 
keep referring to. And if you look out this window, you've got that beautiful view with that cherry blossom tree and he kept pressing that hot button non-stop, non-stop, non-stop. So she just became emotionally attached to it. And that was something I learned really early that once you know what they're looking for, you keep tapping that button. What's an example that you've done it? So, so in my business, and obviously I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a trainer, so the first thing I always say to people is draw a line down a page. And this was a sales technique that I learned called the Benjamin Franklin technique, where he would write the benefits and the negatives of each decision he would make. So what I tell people to do is write all of the benefits of your service and your business or your product, whatever it is. Down the other side, write um, all of the problems that you think your ideal client would have and then just literally match them up, match them up as you go. And, what, and some of those points will potentially like one benefit may go to every single negative and one of those positives might only go to one negative. Yeah. But what you have there is multiple shots in your armory that if somebody throws 10 objections to you, you've got 10 objection handles there. Um, so that's the first thing that I'd always tell people to do is just work out what your USPs are first, work out the pain points of your clients, match them up so that every time someone throws a pain point at you, you're able to, to handle that in, in the best possible way. So how do you then transcend this into marketing? Because obviously now it's a lot of video marketing, even yeah. blogs like back in the day. So if, you, so if you think about short form content, and that first one to two seconds, the hook is the bit that is the difference between me stopping my finger and watching it or going like that and scrolling onto the next video. The pain point needs to be that first bit of content. So if, for instance, a pain point of my clients, so I typically sell tenanted properties, I know the biggest pain point for my clients is the fact, the amount of viewings that estate agents typically will want to book in and the tenant will get get annoyed yeah so my my hook on a particular video might be something like are you sick and tired of time wasting endless viewings and then someone stops and like oh yeah that's something I'm interested in and then the rest of the content is your solution to that so it's hitting with the pain point first to keep them hooked um, and also on your marketing you only put the pain point on there the answer, the solution to that, then is either when they pick up the phone to call you or it's in the comment section, so they then have to engage with your content. So there's lots of little ways that you can do it. Um, but yeah, it's trial and error as well. Which, or how many businesses do you have, firstly? So I've got Casita Properties, which is my, my main property business, and we have four branches of Casita properties. So we have West, East, Northwest, Northeast. So uh, we've got two offices, one in London, one in Warrington, covering the Northwest. We're just gonna open up an office, hopefully in the Northeast at some point this year. So there's Casita properties with four subsidiaries. Um, I've got Sales Training Made Simple, which is my training business. We've got peak performance events, the events business, we've got the podcast. And um, I've got a business called Bluecrest Capital Estates, which is my assisted sale business as well. So I do a lot of property assisted sales. So how do you manage your time within businesses? <laughs> the question should be, yeah. do you manage your time? Um, I do. I am a bit of a workaholic, but I like that. Um, I'm not interested in TV and stuff like that. So I, 
I quite like breaking my day up. So I start, I start my day at eight o'clock. So I plan my day at eight o'clock, have a call my PA at nine o'clock and anyone else I need to between nine and half nine to make sure everyone's off doing what's expected of them. We catch up again at 12 o'clock um, to make sure there's any updates and then we catch up again at the end of the day. Um, I prioritise my tasks, so, so I don't write to-do lists. I, I basically prioritise tasks that are tasks that can only be done during working hours and tasks that can only be, uh, that can be done outside of working hours. So sitting there appraising deals and scrolling through Rightmove, for instance, that's, that's when the kids are in bed. I don't, I don't need to do that during a working hour. But then those properties that I've appraised and reviewed last night, I then spend the working hours then calling up estate agents and speaking with them. Working hours are all about solicitors, mortgage brokers, accountants, everything like that, because you can only get them between nine to five. But then maybe speaking to investors and vendors sometimes, it's easier to get hold of them after five o'clock because they're working. So it's just prioritizing the day based on what I can and can't do during that period. I, I used to be the guy that would travel all around the country going to view properties and stuff like that. And what I realized is me being out of the office for a day was, was not the best use of my time. So I outsourced that and I've, I've now got a viewing company that basically views all properties for me. Um, and it wasn't down to the cost of traveling. It was mainly a whole day to try and catch up on. You're, it just pushes you further behind all the time. So again, it's delegation and, and finding ways of managing your time better. But it is tough and you never feel like there's enough hours in the day. And I know a lot of people like to systemize stuff so that they only have to work five hours a day. But for me, I just think, well, if I can systemize it to work five hours a day, there's another 10 hours in the day that still has daylight that I can do something else. What's the first hour for between eight and nine? Eight and nine for me is just making sure that I've got a clear focus on what I need to do that day and what I need to achieve. And have you ever read Eat My Frog? No. So Eat My Frog is about working out the worst task and the most energetic task that you, you would put off. Like it's important to get done, but it might be telling that, telling that vendor that the buyer's pulled out or that they didn't get approved for their mortgage. And that's the thing that you want to put off. And it's going to take the most energy and it's going to be that thing you don't want to do. But eat my frog is, if I eat a frog for breakfast, what's the, what else can happen in the day that would be worse than that? So you, you just get it out the way first. So I look at all my tasks and I work out what's going to be the most energetic and what's the worst thing. So I don't have them looming over me. I get the worst things done out the way in the morning, providing it fits within the time frame, and then the rest of the day is productive. But if I've got that negative thing sitting in the back of my head all day that I'm putting off, it affects my mindset on all the positive things that I need to do. Now I say something similar to my team where that vendor or that landlord you don't want that conversation with calling first thing in the morning yeah. and just get it over and done with. And same with that difficult task. Just do it first thing in the morning. The rest of the day just naturally becomes easier. It's like a weight off your shoulders. And again, it takes it, less energy. It's energy levels, isn't it? Like, would you rather do your most energetic task at the end of the day when you're feeling slumped and tired? or And, and then you'll probably go, 
I'll leave that until tomorrow, or attack it first thing in the morning when you've just had your breakfast and your coffee and you've got the highest, highest energy levels. 100%. Um, you don't have a to-do list, you said. I, so, yeah, I don't have a to-do list. I basically block my time out for, for certain tasks. So like, I will block time out to say, right, I'm going to do an hour's worth of uh, outreach on LinkedIn, for instance. And I will do that for the whole day, uh, for, that, for that whole hour, for instance. And then I'll spend an hour where I will be maybe mentoring and stuff like that. So I do, I do time blocking as opposed to a to-do list and just go through ticking. So you could maybe argue it is a to-do list in a way, but I, I time block certain tasks to certain times and then nothing else comes into that. So I won't answer calls in that time. I'll just effectively spend that time completing that task. Is that what helps you, for example, if you'll spend one hour on your casita properties, another hour on peak performance? Yeah. Is that what you think helps you? Yeah, so for instance, like Aaron's coming down on Wednesday, that whole day is blocked out. That's that's a solid peak performance day because we get so much done when we're in the office together with a big whiteboard and in the boardroom, then if we just bit piece an hour here and an hour there, it's too disjointed. So with peak performance, peak performance is an every day um, during working hours that is. So one day a month, we'll do a day together. But outside of that, most of the peak performance stuff we do outside of working hours because our target audience, say for selling tickets and stuff like that, they're not going to be scrolling through, or you'd like to think they're not scrolling through Instagram during working hours. So, yeah, it's just it's just understanding where your time's best used um, and and blocking the particular time. But I I'll, I'll work eight till ten in the evening as well, and I, I kind of I stop around half four, so half four to about half seven is sort of family time. So sit with the kids for dinner, put them to bed, stuff like that, catch up with my wife and then open the laptop on, uh, turn the laptop on and, and crack on again, eight till 10. Peak performance, what is that? So, so many people ask us this and it, it's a bit of everything. So it's, it's an amalgamation of everything that events that we've been to didn't offer us. And it's the, it's, we built this event which is the event that we would love to attend. So what we didn't like about certain events is that, and mainly property events, is that there was always an upsell. That was the first thing. We never wanted people to come with their guard up thinking they're going to be sold all the time. There's always a pitch. So that was the first thing. Second thing was the networking. Networking, if you're going to spend any time away from your family or in the evening or on the weekend, you've got to make sure that you're gonna come away with some value. So the networking for me was to get people in the room that aren't always from the same industry. Because let's face it, you and I, we probably get more business going to a standard business event yeah. than you do if you go to a property event. Um, I know at a property event, I'm in, a comp I'm in the room with my competition. Whereas if I go to the Essex, business owners event, probably not going to have the same people there that would be at a property event. So we wanted to create an event whereby the topics were broad enough that it would be able to benefit 
someone from insurance, someone from recruitment, someone from property, like any walk of life. And we always ask what occupation people have on the, on the Eventbrite link. And it's so broad. It's so, so broad. Doctors, surgeons, like anyone and everyone comes, like people that work in Sainsbury's, if they have an interest in social media or they've got side hustle or whatever it is they, they want to do, they're in that room and, and they're good people still for you to do business with. So we wanted to create some really good high energy networking, but we didn't want it to be classed as a networking event. We wanted it to be classed as an education event that networking was attached to it as well. So we pride ourselves on getting the best speakers within the industry to provide top, top value to the attendees but again, without any upselling. So some of our guests may run courses and stuff like that, but there's zero selling at our event. Um, and it was just for people to come out feeling inspired and energized, even if it doesn't finish till half 10, 11 o'clock, and you might be feeling tired because you've worked all day. You've come out of there thinking, you know what, I have learned so much and I can't wait to implement it. Actually, it's from the event I went to last in Feb, is when I decided that on our job description we will have you have to build a personal brand, yeah, for any of the sales team, and then for after that we'll do it, do it to the back end team as well. But social media has become that important that each and every sales member, if their faces aren't out there, they're not getting recognised. Yeah, it's so for me. Um, so many people talk about Instagram and TikTok. I earn zero business from those platforms. My business is all done on LinkedIn, which is a, it's a business platform. And a lot of people don't even class it as social media, but I've built a following of 27,000 followers on there now, which is quite big for that particular platform. But people that are on there, they're serious professionals. They're not on there to watch cat videos and watch how amazing your life is while you're in Dubai driving a Lamborghini that you've rented. Like, that's not what LinkedIn's about. Yeah. LinkedIn is, is where proper people go to do proper business and build proper networks and proper relationships. I would say 80% of my direct to vendor deals are done through people that contact me through my posting on LinkedIn. And I feel like so many people miss that opportunity um, because busy professional people they're not looking for services on Instagram and TikTok. They're on LinkedIn doing their daily business and then they stumble across you. And that's, that's how I feel my business has flourished because I've done the opposite to what everyone else is doing. What, what advice would you give to someone who's probably started a business or is running a business, but they're struggling to reach their ideal customer? You have to work backwards. So you first need to identify who your ideal customer is, work out, like I said to you before, what are their pain points and how you can solve their problems. That's, that's the main thing. And then the content you, you, you do, it's, it's, look, it depends what your product is. Like going, going around all these houses and doing video walkthroughs and keep posting those, that's great for finding buyers potentially. Yeah. But then that's not great for finding sellers. Yes, it might show that you've been around some nice houses. But again, like what, what do those people want to see? They want to see the solutions that you have. They want to see video testimonials, that kind of thing. They want to see what your benefits are. So you almost 
want like two different campaigns. You want one that attracts sellers and one that attracts buyers. And I think the main thing is, is your business one is the one that attracts buyers and then your personal ones, your staff, attract the sellers because yeah. people buy from people that they like. You and I could be pitching for the same bit of business. You might be 1% commission, I might be 2% commission, but they don't like you. They don't warm to you, Go on, come to you. but they warm to me. Yeah. They would rather pay me 2% or negotiate to 1.5% and I'm still more expensive than you, but they would rather work with me because they like me, they trust me, and they just warm to me. And that's the thing, you don't have to be the cheapest. And I think with estate agency, and correct me if I'm wrong, I, I've, I've witnessed people's commissions going down and down and down because it's become so competitive on price to the point where I've seen people in the southeast selling for like eight, nine, five plus VAT. We've got one of the big ones just over there, charged yeah. 2,000 plus VAT. Yeah. And the average house price here is 450, 475. So it's not even 1%. It's not even half a percent. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. If anything, you're devaluing your service and you're devaluing your staff, you're devaluing everything. Maybe they're not devaluing their service. Maybe that's what their service is worth. Yeah. If I told you that my average, my average commission last year was 9.5%, you probably wouldn't believe me. But that's what it was. And it's because it's how I sell my service and it's how I sell the benefits of the problems that they have encountered my, my best clients aren't the ones that are thinking of coming to the market for the first time. My best clients are the ones that have been with them for three months, encountered loads of problems, and I come along as the, the knight in shining armor. So I warrant getting a bigger fee because I'm solving a problem. But my self-worth now has gone from average fees of two and a half grand up to 10 grand. And that's on properties sub 200 grand. And that's purely because I now know what my service is worth. And I, I, won't, I won't negotiate below that now. I think for any business, it's important for them to identify their ideal client. And then from there, like you said, you just reverse engineer. Yeah. And you find out where your clients are going to look for business or going to look to for their tips. If it's Instagram, it's Instagram. If it's LinkedIn, because mm -hmm. your one is buy to let investors. They're yeah. all on LinkedIn. Business owners, again, LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, and once you identify that, then your marketing can become a lot more solid. And then, like you said, pain points. Uh, it's them hooks that you need to do. Yeah. Um, but is that what you try to push for peak performance as well? So give, because the one I went to was the power of social media. Yeah. The next one is about... It's volume two. So the power of social media, again, is such a broad subject yeah. that for, for us... There's, there's different parts of social media that you can hone in on. So the first one was for people that are looking to monetize um, their brand on social media. And when I say monetize, it doesn't necessarily mean becoming a, an influencer or something like that, but monetize by being able to sell your product or your service effectively online, get sponsorship, get brand deals. So for instance, you you might be building towards getting someone to sponsor your podcast. So that's what that was all about. On yeah. what, what do you need to, you, you can't go out and say, right, I want a sponsor for my podcast. And like you said, you're sitting at X amount of 100 subscribers. What can you offer them? That's it. You need to know what is the offer here. 
that you can offer to a, a sponsor for them to buy into your journey. So for me, when I started sponsoring the Nightly Roundtable podcast, it was because at that point I realized who my end client was. And my end client wasn't anyone that goes to the investor shows and the property shows, which is where I was spending my money. I was, I was doing like property notify and stuff like that and doing the Manchester property shows because it was just full of investors or my competition. What I realized is the people that I want are the busy entrepreneurs that maybe have buy-to-lets that don't want to give them to estate agents and be bothered all the time with viewings and stuff like that. So my discreet off-market service would benefit them. And I thought, how can I get out to that audience, to the masses? And it just so happened that Aaron was looking for a sponsor at that time. I knew what his audience was. His audience are entrepreneurial people that watch his podcast because he has business people, finance, property people on. Um, and it just worked well. And I was coming on board when he was only at 600 subscribers because it was an investment into growing that base together and benefiting from him being at a low level. And then I'll get the reward when we get to the higher level. And a year later, look, we've got an events business together and we just topped 10,000 subscribers. So that was in one year. Yeah. So we're now, so we're now getting that benefit. Um, and we're now getting the, the, the kind of what I was looking for. I'm getting the recognition and that. Go back a year, I wasn't even on social media other than LinkedIn. I was pretty unknown in property. People didn't know about me, um, which is how I liked it back then. But now that I'm doing the mentoring and we're doing the social media and that, it's, it's now an essential part of what I have to do on a daily basis. I was like that as well. I, I was on socials, but it was nothing. I'd never put my face out, for example. Yeah. Um, I thought... I think in October, November, I thought, you know, 2023, I need to build a personal brand of sort myself. Yeah. Um, and it's done decent, as in, I think we're in the third month, we've got 300 subs on YouTube. Um, but again, it's... It's a slow burner. It's a slow burner. It and is. It will take time, but it's, an, it's a But that makes it effect. more rewarding because yeah. it's hard work. And, and the thing is, the platforms reward consistency. So if you say, we post every Monday, five o'clock and you post every Monday at five o'clock and that's when I know as a subscriber to, to watch out and wait for that and everyone then goes to it at five, six, seven o'clock on a Monday. They reward you with that and they push you. But it's the inconsistency that the algorithm then slips off. So um, someone said to us, I think it was Luke Vernon said, there's times when the, when the platforms test your, um, test your loyalty as well. So you could go from having like hundreds of thousands of views every day on your videos, and then they just completely drop off. And it's not your content, it's them testing your loyalty to the platform, the fact that you will go a whole week with rubbish views. And then he just said, all you do is if you didn't get the, the traction that you wanted on that video, you repost it at another time, or you retweak it or something like that. They're constantly testing you, and they're constantly testing your loyalty. So. It is a slow burner, but you just got to stick with it. Where do you plan to take peak performance? We've we've discussed this. Um, would would like to be up there with TEDx. I know that's a big big task, but I think we've, we're building the contact base, we're building the network, um, and we're building the brand. The brand's become 
really recognise now. Someone actually said to me the other day when I was talking to them, they were up in Darlington, which is like Newcastle way. They were like, um, I sent them an email and Peak Performance is on my signature. And they were like, I've heard of Peak Performance. And I was like, I'll have you. And they're like, yeah, 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 you're, you're, you're known up here. And it was like, I was kind of taken aback a bit because it's a London-based events yeah. company. But the, the name's getting out there, the brand's getting out there, so. I think I saw Aaron on a reel saying that in five years, maybe, uh, you can sell peak performance at 10 to 20 mil. Yeah, he's had a few meetings with a few really big business owners who have been giving us a load of advice and they, they like the brand in, the fact we're trademarked now, which is a, is a big thing, um, and our association with Lord Sugar sponsoring the event and stuff like that. I think all of that combined puts us in a strong position to, to build it into something quite big and, and quite special. Because right now, it's almost like a hobby for us. We haven't, it's a, it's a profitable business, but we don't pull money from it. So we just use the money, like we've done four events now and every event has made money, but we use it to grow the brand. So it's, it's not, pay, it's not a paid business for us because we've got our, our own businesses that, that pay our lifestyles. But it would be nice at some point to build it into something that potentially could go from it being that hobby to potentially a mainstream of income for us as well. How did you manage to get Alan Sugar to sponsor you? It's a really, it's a really weird one. Um, so we did our first event in Bromley at my offices. We had about 70 people turn up. And it went really, really well. We came, we came away from it saying, okay, it's gonna, it's gonna work. Let's take it to London. We took it to London. We had Mark Wright, um, who won The Apprentice as okay. our headline speaker. Um, a few people that he knew came, one of which was a, another business owner with um, Alan Sugar, Lord Alan Sugar. And um, we got an email about two weeks after the event from him just saying, uh, we really, we really enjoyed the event. Um, is there any chance that we could speak to you regarding a sponsorship opportunity? And at the time, we'd already allocated all of our sponsorship for the next event. And Aaron called me and he said, have you seen he's been copied into the email? And I was like, no, but we, we, we've got everyone. He's like, just have a look. And I looked and it said, Lord Sugar. And I was like, yeah, that's fake, isn't it? And then within five minutes, Lord Sugar had responded to the email basically saying, happy for you to go ahead with sponsorship. Let's, let's throw in there, um, trademarking the business internationally as well um, through, through our brand. And we were just like, is this, is this real? And um, we, agreed, we agreed a package that means that they sponsor us for five events. So this will be our fourth event with them, uh, our third event with them, sorry. Um, and yeah, it's, got, it's going strong. When is he coming on your podcast? Well, yeah, to, to be confirmed, but um, that, would be, that would be a huge achievement to, to get him on board when he's in the country. I uh, actually bumped into him in Chigwell. Uh, one of my cousins plays for Bay Tees, um, and he was in Chigwell school, mm -hmm. and he was just taking a walk. He was on the phone, um, look, which looked like a business school, and he was just taking a walk around I'm like, on a Sunday morning. Yeah. So he's, he's quite active. Yeah, we, we've had quite a few people that are in business with him on the podcast and um, they've all just said how down to earth he is. Like you see the perception of him on The Apprentice, yeah. 
But one of one of the girls that he's in business with, she's a young, he, she's the youngest business partner for um, Lord Sugar, and she said he's he's just like my granddad, but he just sends me TikTok reels all the time. And we were like, really? She was like, yeah. He's, it's like it's so funny. I'm sitting there with my mum and dad, and I'll get like funny TikToks from him, and you just don't think that. So he's he is just a normal guy. Um, but he did us a video endorsing the event, which was great. And we're hoping in the next month or two to be able to do some filming with him as well about the trademarking of peak performance and that. So again, that will just be another little bit of icing on the cake for us for association. Yeah, that's, that's, that's quite cool. Um, you seem to have a steely determination about you um, when you're talking about business or your businesses. Mm. Where does that come from and what is it inside that keeps your fire going? Um, I think just always, always wanting to be a business owner. Like I've never been one for working for some, like working for a company or working for someone. I don't think I'd be any good working for someone. So that kind of fire for me is being successful for myself. But I suppose the fire in my belly is my family. So I've got two young girls. Everything I do is 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 for them. We obviously had that chat off air about what what I've started to do this year for them, putting them through private education. So again, that's a that's a massive focus for me on financially, kind of supporting them for the next 10, 12 years um, to get them the best possible education there is. Do you think it's important for any business owner to have their why? So your why is obviously your two girls. 100%. I think if you, what's it, I, I listened to something the other day and it said something like the, the person, the person that enjoys the destination more than the journey, sorry, the person who enjoys the journey more than the destination will be more successful. And for me, the journey of becoming successful, becoming financially free and all of that is the enjoyable bit. I yeah. enjoy that. And I know every time I reach that destination, a new destination kind of is then put out there. And it's, and it's that journey. It's like I got conceded to properties to a point where it now provides me with the income that I need for me and my family. And I could continue building that, but I think that destination has now passed and I would be bored because I've done that journey. But the journey now of building peak performance building the podcast, building the mentorship is now the enjoyable part for me. And I might get to the point where we build the podcast to a certain level and I lose that enjoyment factor and I've reached that destination. So then there has to be a new journey for a new destination. So right now I have multiple destinations that I'm working for, but your, your why doesn't always have to be monetary, doesn't always have to be how big your business is or anything like that. I think it can be stuff, like I said, like having the ability to put my family through um, private education, having the ability to go and experience multiple holidays a year, having nice things. Like that's, that's my why. It's not having a Rolex, driving a Lamborghini. My why is, is more having my family enjoy my successes um, with me as opposed to it being self, self-indulgent. Have there been times where you've ever thought you wouldn't be successful? Um, I think you get setbacks. Yeah. But a setback is only a learning experience. So there's been times, I mean, like, 
pre-Christmas, the last quarter last year when we had the um, interest rates going up, we had down valuations, we had mortgage products being pulled. I've said it on multiple podcasts, I lost 127 grand worth of commission in three months. That's pipeline commission to come in January, February, March time. So I'm feeling that pain now. For someone not as strong-willed and focused as I am, that probably could have topped them. But it's painful, it's hurt me, it's been a tough few months, but again, it's just, it's just another learning curve, isn't it? That you, you can't rely on money that isn't in the till as being banked, bank pipeline. So, How did you overcome that? I think I was quite lucky that Christmas came. So I had a week and a half to just reset. Like I think if I was still in the office, it would be quite easy to just kind of wallow a bit and kind of just sit there in self-pity about how bad it all is. And I think if I was around some of the staff who had lost commissions and stuff like that, they'd all be, we'd all be bouncing negativity off of each other about how bad it's been. But we all just decided, right, it's a week and a half where we'll wish each other Merry Christmas, but let's not talk about it. New year, new start. We attack it again and we go again. And look, it's been, it's been a slow start to the year. Um, everyone's still hoping interest rates are going to get better. Vendors are in a position where they think, is it the right time to sell? Is it not the right time to sell? Buyers are thinking, do I buy now or is there some sort of downfall that's coming where I'm going to buy the same property 20% cheaper in a few months. So it's been a bit of an up and down start, but again, it's just persistence. You just keep going, 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 because what's the other alternative? You give up on your dream, you give up on a business that you've been building for however many years, you give up on, on your family and your sustainability at home. So for me, give, giving up isn't an option. There is part of me that would take calculated risks and, and not take calculated risks. If I really thought a business was gonna die a death, then I wouldn't continue with it. But this is property, it, there's peaks and troughs. It's like the stock yeah. market. It can't always go like that. It can't always be rainbows and sunshines. You are gonna get days like today out there where it's dark and gloomy and wet and miserable. So you, I, I just think as long as you're not one of these people that gets a big payday and you go out and you buy the Lambo and then when the rainy day comes, you don't have anything to support you, I think you, you'll be okay. But you need that good, powerful team behind you. And sometimes your family and friends might not be the best people for that because they might be telling you, I told you so and stuff like that. But I think the beauty of, I would say property in general, is that we're quite lucky that there's always a good team around you that are experiencing the same problems as you. So I know that I can pick up the phone to Aaron when I'm having a bad day. and We can bounce ideas and tell each other it's gonna be fine and stuff like that. So I think without that power circle behind you, I think you could very easily give up. How, how do you build that power circle? It's networking, it's not, isn't yeah. it? It's, it's networking. And I think we've all got a power circle. And we've all got people in our circle currently that are good for us. But we tend to hold on to the people that are bad for us because of like historic relationships. And I think you've got to be strong enough to cut people out. And I've been told so many times that it's harsh, 
But if you are if you are adamant on going on that journey to be the best version that you can ever be, you you can't be that person with Dave down the pub who who's claiming the doll. Like you grew up with him and that was that was part of your life. But for you to get to the level that you wanna be, you are gonna to have to rub shoulders with Alan Sugar's business partners. You are gonna to have to rub shoulders with the people at the events that we talk about going to because without them, you're never gonna be able to grow and you're never also gonna be able to see what is possible as well. So I think one thing someone said to me is, never talk about big ideas to small-minded people. And that really resonated with me because at one stage, I would say that all of my ideas and my businesses and my entrepreneurial journey was almost seen as the entertainment value within my circle for my friends as a, as a bit of a joke because it would work and it wouldn't work. And how many other things are you going to try before you decide that you need to just go get a job? And that wasn't the kind of talk that I needed or that I wanted. So it was about cutting those people out and just finding new people. Um, and really, that's what this last year has been about, building that big, powerful circle. And the podcast has been a huge, a huge part of that because I think with the podcast is, yes, we can sit here and have a talk, but off camera, there is opportunities that you and I could go on to do. Yeah. And without the podcast, it maybe wouldn't have facilitated this initial conversation or, or this relationship. So the podcast has been a massive, massive learning curve for me on building my network and, and getting some solid business advice from big, big business people that if you message them on Instagram or LinkedIn or you emailed them, they probably wouldn't respond. But having them in a room with you, it's... It's, it's life-changing. I've noticed that too about the podcast. I've only released nine, eight, nine episodes. Yeah. Um, but there's already a network of people there for me that now if I need advice, I can message you. If I need sales yeah. training for my team, you know what, Paul does it. If I want buy to let advice, I can go to Sean or TJ. Yeah. There's already people about me who may not have welcomed me as much as if this podcast didn't happen or if this relationship didn't happen. Yeah. Um, and so again, sitting one hour, one and a half hours with someone that gives you solid advice or drop solid gems makes a difference. And it always mm. makes you think and think in a positive way. And it's positive energy as well. And I always think, yeah. like you said about friends, when you've got friends who think your ideas are too big, um, that's negative energy, which you don't want rubbing off on you. Yeah. And I think positive and negative energy is a massive, massive thing. It's a, it's a massive player. And sometimes it's not even friends, it's family as well. Like fam, family can be that negative energy. And I think that's when you start holding your, your cards to your, close to your chest and you don't tell them everything. Um, you just let your results speak instead of telling them about your ideas. Because I'd say family and friends are different. Family may be a negative because they, they care and they're trying to protect you. Whereas sometimes with friends, it could be jealousy because it's not something they could do and it makes them feel better to, to maybe downsell your ideas. So I think there's a difference between your family and that with the negativity. But again, you just, you've got to be strong. And if you can't cut certain people out, you just have to limit how much time you spend with them and how much information you share with them. I think distancing people is important mm. um, not necessarily 
well, if someone doesn't share the same vision or isn't providing you with that positive energy, but is doing completely complete opposite, then it's important to distance yeah. yourself. You can still have that friendship, but when you're so focused on business um, and creating your legacy and providing for your family, um, you need that positive energy constantly to keep you going. Yeah, especially when you're having the bad times as well. Yeah. Like the worst thing is having someone negative around you when you're, when you need someone to basically give you that cuddle, but also that, that rocket up your ass to, to just say, like, snap out of this. You've got it. Like, just do what you've got to do. Go for a run, go to the gym, take the dog for a walk, whatever you've got to do, come back tomorrow and attack it again. But, but sometimes when you're, when you're in that pit, the worst thing is to then go and see someone who's negative that's going to keep you in that pit or bury you deeper as well. Yeah. And I think also you just need someone to remind you you've just done 10 years of hard work which has built you to this stage mm -hmm. from here. But just because you've dropped to here doesn't mean it's the end. Just push yourself a bit more and you'll reach even, even higher. Yeah. You just need someone to push you or just give you that extra bit of um, advice or bit of energy um, and again, it just pushes you forward. It's, it's just controlling what you consume, isn't it? I think, see, I'm not a consumer on, on um, social media. Social media is there for me as a, as a platform to promote who I am and my business and stuff like that. I've, I've probably follow maybe 100 people and I don't like a lot because I'm not viewing a lot on there. So if I'm going on there, it's because I'm responding to comments and that, but I'm not on there looking through consuming stuff because I'm acutely aware that it's very easy to be scrolling through and consuming the wrong things that I don't have to be following lots of people to consume the wrong thing because yeah. you've got suggested, you've got sponsored stuff. So I think make sure, like I don't read the news anymore. It's all negative. There's nothing positive ever in the, in the news unless there's a royal baby or an Olympic medal or whatever it might be. So for me, it's building those habits and those routines of what you consume. And what I consume is podcasts and audibles and stuff like that. It's only ever feeding my brain positive stuff. The moment that I start reading about how bad the earthquake's been in Turkey and Syria and stuff like that, just it, it brings me down because I'm looking at pictures of kids and thinking about my kids and it's no, it's no good for you. And again, it might sound harsh, that you're ignoring what's going on in the world, but it just doesn't help me on my journey. And I'm so focused on my journey that in the nicest possible way, nothing else matters outside of that right now. With, with me, when it comes to like natural disasters, like we had the earthquake in, yeah. um, in Turkey, I don't really look at the pictures, but I think it, what it does with me, it, I can create, well, I have to take a step back and it's like a reality check. That yeah. There's other people in this world that are suffering, and we can always give. We're fortunate enough to have. Um, now it's just water, food and water and shelter, which they don't have. But we're fortunate enough to have money where we can give charity. Um, at least we can help them a bit. But yeah. I don't like focusing on that because again, it's the pictures are, aren't yeah. good. I think I was I was always taught in sales that you've got people that. So, say you've got a, a sales floor and you've got a leaderboard and you've got those people that fight to be the top of the leaderboard. 
But then you've got those people that fight not to be at the bottom. So it's like, oh, I'm seventh. Well, at least I'm not as low as, yeah. as John. And I think that's the same, like looking, looking at like other people. So, all right, I'm, I'm doing this, but at least, at least I'm not as bad as that person. Whereas for me, I'd rather just be watching what I'm doing and have, like, like you said, oh, at least I've got running water. Instead of comparing myself to other people and, and being grateful of what I have because they don't have it, I'm just grateful on comparing my journey and being grateful that I have two lovely kids. I have a lovely wife at home. Like, I'm, I'm just grateful of all of that as opposed to making the comparisons either side of being grateful for what I have and grateful for not what I have, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, I'd rather not think, oh, he drives a Lamborghini, he's better than me, or he drives a Skoda, he's not as good as me. I'd rather just focus on what I have and focus on what I want to achieve. I think the comparisons when people are on social media and they're, they're feeling bad about themselves because someone's taking a picture of themselves eating at the Shard or in Dubai driving Lamborghinis or whatever it might be, it's not good for you. It's not the yeah. right stuff to consume. Those comparisons aren't good. So I just think an attitude of gratitude towards what you've done, where you are, what you've overcome, where you've come from, and, and then focusing on where you want to go. I think that is, for me, the main things that I'm, that I'm all about right now. I think being grateful is important, but I think at the same time, is you, everyone's on their own journey. Um, I started proper work at 23 years old. Some people have started on 18, mm. some people started at 14. That means they've got 10 years ahead of me, nine years ahead of me. Um, if I then compare that, oh, this person's got this and I haven't, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm doing bad. But again, I think that's where it comes important, where you set your own goals, you know what you're out to achieve. And then, like you said, you enjoy the journey. Yeah. If you don't enjoy the journey, you're not going to enjoy the destination. We're not, we're not all built for it as well. Like some people are built to go and do a nine to five. They don't have the drive, the minerals, even the mind capacity to run their own business. And there's nothing, there's no, nothing wrong with that. As I said to you, we, we, I've just come from the studio doing a podcast with Rob Moore. And he said, there are entrepreneurs, there are intrapreneurs, and there are empire builders. He said, intrapreneurs are the ones that absolutely kill it working for someone else. And he used uh, Tim, Tim Cook as an example, who runs Apple. He doesn't own that business but he's a multi, multi-millionaire. There's nothing wrong with that. You've got entrepreneurs like you and I who run businesses and we solve problems, we solve solutions. Then you've got people building empires, building big, big brands and big, big businesses. Neither is right or wrong, it's whatever works for you. And I know that I've worked on sales floors before where the sales guys, because they're on uncapped commission, they own more than the directors. Yeah. The directors don't care because the more they earn, the more the money they're generating for the business. So neither is right or wrong, but everyone's on their own journey, like you said. And not everyone wants to be a business owner. Not everyone wants to be an entrepreneur. Not everyone wants to work for a company. I don't. I could never work for a company. I'd be unemployable right now. I've never even written a CV in my life. So I just think, Everyone is on their journey. You have to respect everyone's grind and what they're looking to do. 
not be hateful if people are achieving or anything like that and they're achieving more than you. I love people achieving more than me because it just sparks that conversation that I want to know what do you do, how do you do it, how did you get there, what drives you. And even if I only take two nuggets from that, I'm just a sponge. I just want to learn more and more and more from everyone that I talk to. Some conversations, they don't lead to anything. Yeah. Doesn't matter. It's just another person that knows about me and knows my business. And maybe in six months time, it might lead to a referral. Who knows? But the more conversations you have with people, the more chance you've got of, of business. I 100% agree with you there. Uh, what's next for Paul Stapleton? Um, well, I don't think I'll be taking on any new ventures at the moment. I think I've got a lot on my hands. So just sustaining Casita Properties as being my main, my main source of income. But it will be, look, the, ne the next step for us is 20,000 on the podcast. And we'll do it this year because we went from 600 to 10,000 over the course of last year. The, the, the traction that we've got now and the, the, the guests that we're getting on the podcast now, they're big, big names. We're, we're going to blow that podcast up this year. And I'm really excited about that because the better the podcast is, what I like is that all the businesses are linked. Um, we've gone from Casita Properties sponsoring the podcast to actually Paul Stapleton sponsoring the podcast. So I've, I've bought the domain and everything like that for Paul Stapleton. So I'm creating a personal brand now with everything sitting under it. So if Paul Stapleton does well, peak performance benefits from that, the podcast benefits, Casita Properties benefits, everything I'm affiliated with benefits. So the podcast does well, that, that helps peak performance, that helps Casita Properties, that helps my mentorship. So podcast is, is a big focus and peak performance is a massive focus because that is how I see it, a, a scalable business that could be built into something that could be sold in future years. Um, and also, again, it's another thing for exposure for us as the, as the host of the event. Um, it gains us massive exposure and it, it's quite nice. You go to events and people recognize you from the event and stuff like that. And um, it does, it opens lots of doors for you. To be honest, peak performance, when I went to, the, that was the first one I went to, um, you can easily imagine it with a room full of a thousand people yeah. having the same speakers because you've got that scalability yeah uh, it's and if your target is to be like tedx or better than i can see the potential there yeah it's i i think as well it's we we're so focused on having the same buzz whether a thousand people would have that same buzz in a room i don't know i don't know if it would be too big um but i think it's for us it's about adding adding more and more value each time. So bigger guests, bigger guests, bigger guests every single time. But it would be amazing to have a, a room of a thousand people. Absolutely amazing. And that's not from a financial point of view to monetize it. That is, it's just, a, everything's achievement for me. Like when I talk about peak performance, I get goosebumps because I think about what we've achieved in, in the space of a year, walking home, from that very first event last year after doing 70 people at like midnight, just 40 minute walk, just to try and process it all. And the next day speaking to Aaron, like we smashed it. And that was like us 70 people in my office. And like, that was the start of it to 
where we were last month with 230 people in a room, some amazing guests, the amount of impressions we had on the night, over 2 million impressions, the amount of feedback we had, the amount of reels created from people, the amount of people coming to the next one. Like, it's unbelievable. The sponsorship opportunities, we can't get enough sponsorship now. Like, all the companies that want to be associated with the brand, it's, it's great, it's amazing. And my wife keeps saying to me, like, when's the money coming from this? You spend so much time. And I was like, it's not about the money necessarily. It's something that we enjoy. And it's, the mar it's almost like marketing for us. So the time invested gets us that, that exposure that we're looking for. But it's bigger than, it's bigger than just money for me. It's, it's a passion and it's a brand that I can, I can just see it being big. Yeah. in the in the future i just think the logo is very recognizable and that's why we've trademarked it now because i think before you get too big you want to make sure someone doesn't copy you we'll just have a quick fire round before we wrap up cool um favorite food Ooh, um i really like italian yeah even though even though i come from a lebanese background i'm, I'm really enjoying italian at the moment i'll go through stages favorite holiday destination Mexico. Not skiing? Not skiing, no. Unless it snows in Mexico. Uh, Favourite podcast, apart from your own one? It's got to be CEO of a... Uh, Diary of a CEO, yeah. Favourite book? Favourite book. The book that changed, changed my whole thinking was by uh, Shah Wozman. It's called Do Less, Get More. Okay, really I good book. Have a it's got a new that. book out that I'm really enjoying at the moment called um, Stop Talking, Start Doing. Okay, I need to uh, add them to my audible list. Yeah. Um, and final one, favourite day? Favourite day? Monday. Perfect. Monday. <laughs> thank you very much. Love for... a Monday. Uh, thank you very much for, for coming in. I know you've Mate, had a long day. Thanks for the invite. Really, really enjoyed it. Really um, good. And we'll put your socials um, in the description for everyone to follow. Perfect. Okay, thank you very much.